we turn to Luke's version of the birth story, a number of things have happened prior to chapter 2 in Luke. We're going to allude to them in a minute. Here is what Luke says. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the family and the descendant from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Join us in these moments, O God, send your spirit to be with us in this time of worship and rejoicing and waiting and anticipating. March us from this place into the days ahead that we might behold once again the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us, as you always do, the gift of yourself that the words I speak and the meditation on all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in this brief reading of Luke's version of the story, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Jesus' birth doesn't exactly come at the most opportune of times. We try to make the story otherwise, we try to make it a peaceful, calm, quiet occasion. We even try to kind of lighten the things that happen in the story for the sake of making it a a feel-good kind of day. You know, we say things like, well, sure, there was a census and they had to travel, but they probably just went quietly into Bethlehem. And he probably had friends there that he grew up with. And I know there was no room anywhere, but they they had a place out back and in the cave or the stable or where and it was fine. They made their little nest there. And and Jesus was born and it was wonderful and and calm and and no, it wasn't. It was not. It was anything but that. It was messy. It was one big hurdle after another. Jesus doesn't come when they want him to come. The first thing that they said, I'm sure, when they got this news that they now have to travel. I mean, can you imagine being learning that you have to walk? for hours and ride a donkey if you're lucky when you're pregnant all the way to your hometown? 
I know that the first thing they said when they heard that was, really? For real? What? Can we get an extension? I mean, even the IRS gives extensions. Can I, surely Augustus can give us an No, okay, all right, then load up. And just a horrendous trip. Awful. Just terrible. And the feel of the story as you kind of read along, and it would fit with what comes before this in Luke. You read along and it feels like it's right when they get into the town of Bethlehem with all the crowds and the mess and the mayhem that it's right then before they've begun to find anything for themselves that Mary turns to Joseph and says, it's time yeah, and Joseph, I'm sure, was like, really, now? And Mary was like, really, right now? You have to come right now? We don't even know where we're going to stay. And, of course, they couldn't find any. Everybody was in town. There wasn't anything for them. That was their first big question, really? And isn't life full of those kinds of moments? I mean, <laughs> That kind of stuff never happens when we, we want it to. Babies don't come when, quite often when we're all packed and we have our little stuff and we're sitting there on the couch and we're all ready and we're like, okay, okay, now's good to come. Now. And everyone's got their rehearsed stuff to get the car. And No, that's not. The baby comes when you finally found a morning to stand in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles and get your license renewed. That's when the baby comes, and you've been in line for three hours now, and, you know, your feet are killing you because you've got, you know, this extra weight, and there, you're five people from the front. You can taste your turn coming, and that's when you get the surprising and the and intrusion of hard labor right then. That's when it happens. I remember when my mom gave birth to my sister years ago. Guess when it was? On election day, she's standing in line getting ready to cast her vote, and it's a long line. And that's when she starts the labor pains. And serious when she knew this was this she needed to get to the... But if you know my mother, of course, she waited, and she voted first in labor. Really? For real? This isn't the first oh, really experience in Luke. It's not the first one. In fact, from the very beginning, Luke has been feeding us with all kinds of oh-really moments, unbelievable, unexpected, sometimes miraculous kinds of events already in the whole of just chapter 1, and he does it on purpose. He's preparing us. He is preparing us for that great big completely beyond our imaginations kind of surprise of God's incarnation. That's what he's preparing us for. And not just that, Luke is preparing us for this incredible, miracle-filled life that Jesus Christ is about to live. He's, he's preparing us for the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus finally makes. Luke is preparing us for all of that. And you can't just... Just dump all that stuff on somebody right away. We wouldn't be able to process it. We'd have steam coming out of our ears. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ease people into it. You gotta, you gotta warm them up. 
by starting small with smaller surprises. And so that's why Luke's gospel starts out the way it does. As Fred Craddock puts it, the way Luke's gospel begins relaxes the reader while also building great anticipation. Luke starts out with Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah. When the angel comes and announces to Zechariah that Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Zechariah is the first one to say, really? Well, that doesn't, she's beyond child, We're, she's too old, she's long past childbearing years and she's barren. We, there's no way, really? Zechariah gets so surprised that he loses his voice, which is another really. Really? I have to lose my voice right now? I mean, this is right? Really? Mary's next. Angel comes to Mary and says to her in a bigger surprise, you're pregnant. And she's the one that looks and says, really? I'm, what? I'm a virgin. This is not possible. What? For real? And then this birth that has one barrier after another. Jesus comes not when they're ready. Jesus comes when they've walked into the overwhelmed, overcrowded city that has no way of accommodating them. Really? That's the nature of loose gospel. But Luke doesn't stop there. Luke keeps going. In fact, if you think about it, a great way to read Luke is to know that there's always one more oh really event right around the corner. His whole story is replete with them. After the birth story, Jesus grows up and we, he's sent out into the wilderness to be tempted. And then we read about how he goes back home to his hometown of Nazareth and is completely rejected by his own hometown. And we stop and we ask, really, is that, is that really the way it happened? How awful he had to go through that. And then as he starts to build his ministry of speaking to the crowds and he tells stories that are now famous that we repeat to one another that make the news and, and categorize events that we do out in our world today. Stories like the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son and we hear those stories again and we stop and we ask, really? Is that really what the kingdom of God is like for real? And then as Jesus ends his gets closer to the end of his life and Judas betrays him and he's denied by Peter and goes all the way to the cross and then offers his own life in order to salvage ours. We get down on our knees and we look up and we ask, is that really what he did? Really? It's a question we ask all the way through Luke's gospel as he's continuing to prepare us for the incarnation of God to surprise us with things we never expected. And isn't it in those moments when we least expect it and are least prepared that we are surprised the most by the most random of things? 
I have one for you. Very random. Two summers ago, and I recently watched it with my kids, which is why it's on my mind. Two summers ago, there was a surprise blockbuster movie hit that no one expected. Nobody. I mean, and, and some of you are going to go, I've never heard of this today, but it was the surprise blockbuster movie hit of the summer, Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, this, this is true. No one, this was, no one expected this thing to be hugely, and it is hugely successful movie. It's a comic book movie. I've been playing to the nerd side of the congregation for the past couple of weeks. And, and it's a space story and about a bunch of misfits that on their own amount to, have not amounted ever to anything by themselves. And they're thrown together and now have to rely on one another in order to save the universe. That's the story. And that's, that's the premise, right? And there's this one character that just is a huge hit with everybody. And his name is Groot. Groot is his name. Groot is, well, a, a tree person whose partner is, a, is Rocket, a, a, a talking raccoon with anger issues. It's great, right? I mean, don't you just want to run out and see that? I mean, who doesn't want to see a tree and a talking raccoon that's got anger management problems? I mean, that alone should just make you want to go see this thing. It's great stuff, I'm telling you. And, and, and Groot, Groot just surprises you all. The, you, you, no one knows about this guy unless you're like a comic book nut and and so everything Groot does is a surprise. I mean, he does all kinds of stuff. He like he does something, and you go, "Wow, I didn't know he could do that. That's really cool, amazing." And then another one, and then some, and he gives a flower off of himself to a little girl, and then he lights up a room. And he does all kinds of stuff. You're like, "Wow, I didn't know," but he can only say three words. It's only three words that he can say: "I am Groot," and only in that order. So. When you ask him a question, guess what his answer is? I am Groot. And, and, that, and they make it into this funny kind of comedy kind of back and forth. When he has an idea to give to them, his idea is, I am Groot. And they all look at him with these blank stares like that is a really good idea. Right? When they... Someone will come up and they'll, they'll ask, they'll say, how are you feeling today? And the group will answer for them, say, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be I am Groot. Just saying, that's pretty much, do you like sugar in your coffee? I am Groot. And it's just all the way through. And through this kind of comedy routine, you start to warm up to this strange character that you've never seen before in your entire life. And you just fall in love with him. And... And you just, you just love this guy. And the only two things he does through the whole movie is say, I am Groot, and beat, beat people up. That's it. That's all he does. Until the end. And in the final scenes of this story, the, the bad guy, 
it looks like the bad guy's going to win. The group has, has pulled everything out of their hat that they can. They've done their plan. They've tried, they've bombarded the guy with every kind of thing and, it, and nothing. And they're done. They have nothing else. And the ship they're in is going down. It's going to crash. It's plummeting to the planet below and all its grand, you know, and they're in the ship and they're, they're not going to win. It's over. It's done. No, it's, it's, they're finished. They have nothing else to turn to and they're all huddled together there, but all of a sudden, in a surprise moment, Groot stretches himself out and surrounds this misfit group of new friends with branches and leaves, and, and only his partner, his partner is the only one who realizes that this act is fatal, that he's not, by doing this, he won't survive. And he looks at him and he asks him, why are you doing this? You'll die. Why? And in this really well done shot, they turn to his face and there's this peaceful look of contentment on it. And he looks at his friends and he says, we are grouped. And he saves them. And and you're, you're watching this thing, and your eyes are watering. You, really, you, are, you are moved to tears, and you're saying to yourself, really, I'm crying about a plant man and a talking raccoon. What's going on here? What's wrong with me? Why am I so emotional about this thing? What's happening? I don't understand this. Can someone please explain this random thing to me? And Luke could do it. Luke can explain it. Luke gets it. He understands those kinds of things because it is the heart of his gospel. It is at the very moment when the world seems lost, when God walks into that very same world. It's, it's, when, it's precisely when the ship is going down and we have nowhere else to turn that God enters our lives and invades our hearts. It is precisely when we least expect it and are the least prepared for it, that God, as C.S. Lewis puts it, comes down from the heavens of absolute being and enters time and space, comes down and enters humanity, goes down further still to the roots of the very nature that God has himself created, comes down in order that God might go back up and take the entire ruined world with him. For Luke, such is the surprise of God, that God came to be with us, that God actually became one of us. And they wrapped him in bands of cloth, And they laid him in a manger. Really? Really. 